Amen. Lord, I thank you that we don't stand in our own efforts or our own abilities, Lord, but because of your great grace. Lord, as we go to your word right now, may you be our teacher. Again, may man decrease, that your spirit would increase, that you alone would be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Welcome again to Calvary Chapel. Turn in your Bibles to Joshua chapter 2, continuing our verse-by-verse study through the Old Testament. Again, if you don't have a Bible, you're going to need one, so please raise your hand. Right? Read the book, don't wait for the movie, amen? Get that Bible out. Blow the dust, it better, better not be dust on it. You know, military guys do dust inspections on like, you know, furniture and stuff like that. I think we ought to have that on our Bible, amen? amen. Get that thing out more often. By the way, the singles meet this Saturday. Pastor Bill was wrong. Hard to imagine that, I know. But this Saturday, 6 o'clock, down at the church office, I want to encourage you if you're single, to come out to that. You'll be, in ble- you'll be blessed. Now, we're picking up in Joshua chapter 2. And again, if you're new here to Calvary Chapel, we just got verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, right through the Bible. We started in Genesis 1 on Wednesday nights when we started the church. And we're now in Joshua chapter 2. I want to encourage you to read the last three verses of Galatians 5 and all of Galatians 6 for this coming Sunday. We'll be looking at that. Now, Joshua As we saw last time, I want to encourage you, if you weren't here, to go ahead and grab the tape, because I did a pretty extensive introduction on the book of Joshua itself. But by the way, a shorter review today. The theme of Joshua is Israel's Israel's possession of the promised land and the enjoyment of God's blessings through obedient faith. Last week we saw the historical setting, the theological significance, the timeline, and all those types of things. Again, grab the tape, encourage you to do that. CDs, they're always free, by the way. We'll never charge for them here. How can you charge for God's Word? That makes no sense to me. So always help yourself to those. Give them away. Do whatever you want with them, all right? Now, the author itself, Joshua. We saw last week that all of Joshua's life, God had been preparing him to become the successor to Moses. And we talked last week that he wasn't a very young man. He wasn't in his 20s or 30s like we often think. We know that he spent at least 40 years in the wilderness, and it's believed he was probably over the age of 90. Now, with that being said, we know this about him, that he was born a slave. And as he was born a slave, that he, dis- he was delivered through the Passover. And at, you remember at Passover, the angel of death passed over those who had the blood on the doorpost. It tells us that he had godly parents that trusted in the Lord. So he grew up in a Christian home, or in a... In those days, it wasn't a Christian home yet. It was a godly home, and he was born a slave. He then became a soldier. First time you see him in the Bible, he's in a battle against the Amalekites. He then became a servant, or Moses' assistant. Went up on Mount Sinai with him, encamped with him. Then he became a spy. He was one of the twelve sent into the land. And as we know, he was one of only two that brought back a good report. And then finally, he became Moses' successor. He was called by God to lead the children of Israel into the land of promise. Now, he was moving them into a land flowing with milk and honey, but it was also going to be a land filled with enemies and temptation. And as we've been talking about week by week, we see a very clear application for you and I in the children of Israel. Because as we know, the children of Israel are an Old Testament picture of a New Testament principle. That's what we often see. The Old Testament, you've heard me say, is much like a picture book. We have New Testament principles that were revealed in Old Testament stories. And so as we look at those Old Testament pictures, Old Testament stories, we get a clear picture, in this case, of our walk with the Lord. If you've been here, it's, re- it's repetition, but that's okay because we're all thick. And we need to hear it again, amen? amen. We need to hear it again. 
He repeats stuff in the Bible because we forget, all right? Egypt is a picture of bondage or a picture of the world. And as we know that they were delivered through Passover, Passover, the blood of the lamb applied to the doorpost, again, a picture very clearly of the cross of Christ. The blood of the lamb had to be applied. You couldn't just have the blood. You couldn't just believe the Passover was going to happen. You had to take some action. You and I must respond to the cross of Christ. We can't simply believe that Jesus died or even believe that he's God. We must come with confessing hearts and apply his shed blood to our lives. So the blood was shed, the blood was applied, and the angel of death passed over. Death had no sting. For you and I, if the blood of Christ has been applied to your life, death has no sting. Amen? Christians die well. We don't die, we just move to a much better neighborhood. Amen? You close your eyes on earth, you open them up in heaven, it doesn't get any better than that. Now you get to the Red Sea. After they leave out of bondage, the Red Sea, 1 Corinthians 10 makes it very clear, the Red Sea is a picture of water baptism. So yes, we've been delivered out of bondage, but God wants to do even more with us. Do we need to be baptized to be saved? The answer is no, because Jesus said it is finished. But should we be baptized? Absolutely. Is it an act of obedience? Without a doubt. Again, it's an outward statement of an inward change. So they cross over the Red Sea, and now they come to Mount Sinai. At Sinai, the law, or the word of God, was delivered to them. This is key to our walk with the Lord. It's not just being born again and getting to get out of hell free card and being saved. But then we, again, make that public confession. And now we study His Word. His Word's been delivered to us. It's in our hands. And if you want to grow in your faith, you need to be in God's Word. Without God's Word, you'll wander aimlessly. And they disobeyed God's Word. And what did they do? They wandered aimlessly in the desert. Many Christians tell me, I'm, 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 I'm living a dry walk with the Lord right now. My, my relationship with God is really dry. You know what? Read the Bible. It's amazing how fruitful your walk gets if you start spending time in God's Word. If you sit around and watch TV all day and you know, focus on the world, you're going to be bummed most of the time. Amen? But if you spend time in God's Word, the living, breathing Word of God, He'll have, again, He'll refresh your life. You know what else we need as believers? That second baptism. Some of you may disagree with this, and that's okay. You'll be wrong, but you can disagree. No, but here's the thing, guys. The Word of God, as they were heading over the Jordan, the Jordan is a picture of being baptized in the Spirit. Because Jesus said in Luke that He breathed the Spirit into the disciples, but that then yet He still told them to go and wait for the Holy Spirit to come upon them. So the Spirit of God comes to live in us at salvation, but there's still something more, that the Holy Spirit would come upon us, less of me and more of Him. And so they're camped outside of the Jordan. They're about to head into that, again, that Spirit-filled life, a type of the Spirit-filled life of all that God has for them. But as we come to Joshua, we know that they have to turn the, the reins over from Moses. Moses has now died, and it's been turned over to Joshua. Again, I know repetitive. Moses is a picture of the, the law. Again, and Joshua's name in Greek is Jesus. And Moses could not bring them into the land of promise. Only Joshua, a picture of Jesus, could. And so, again, I love the Old Testament. So many pictures and so many types uh, that, again, apply to our lives today. Now, last time, we looked at responding to God's call in Joshua chapter 1. The Lord appointed Joshua to be the successor. The Lord encouraged him and promised to be with him. And then Joshua was faithful to God's word. You remember what happened? The Lord said, you're going to take him in. What did Joshua do immediately? He went to the people and told them we're going in. 
He didn't, God didn't call him and he said, well, I'm going to take five years off to rest. You know, Lord, I've been serving you a long time. I fought a lot of Amalekites. You took down Sihon and Og. I mean, I think I've done enough. And too often as Christians, God has a calling on our life and we're waiting for the circumstances to be right so we can start serving God. Well, you know what? If you wait for the circumstances to be right, they're never going to be right. You're always going to have kids to raise and grandkids to raise and bills to pay and things to do. And, you know, and, and that always happens. You know what? Just as today is a day of salvation, I believe today is the day that we ought to be faithful and obedient to the calling God's placed in our life. You'll never regret serving God. Amen? When this time has come and passed, only what we've done for Christ will last. Joshua understood that. And so what did Joshua do? God said, I want you to take them into the land. He went down and told them, get your stuff together. We're going over in the next three days. Now as we come to Joshua 2, we're going to see what happens during those three days. There's a reason why God had him wait three days. And we're going to see within this text just an, a, an incredible story. The story of a woman by the name of Rahab. I know most of you have heard of her. We're going to see the divine sovereignty of God at work. We're going to see one of the most powerful examples of God's love, His concern, and His compassion for the individual as He's going to bring two men. He's going to have three million people wait while He brings two men in to minister to one prostitute. That's our God. Amen? He cares about every single individual. And He cares about the one that the world says is beyond salvation. He has a burden and he has a heart to use every one of us in a mighty and a powerful way. We're going to witness firsthand the incredible transforming power of God's grace. The transforming again of the least likely of all the people. A pagan prostitute. A woman who worshipped idols and sold her body for money into a great and mighty woman of faith. I'm going to catch you up a little bit about her. In Hebrews 11, there's two women in the hall of faith. Sarah, the wife of Abraham a godly Jewish woman, and Rahab, a pagan Gentile prostitute. You think that's by chance? It's not by chance. Why? It's showing us that God can use us all. And it shows us the faithfulness. She's linked later with Abraham as being a woman who produced good works. And most incredibly, she's listed in the genealogy of Jesus. A Gentile, pagan-worshipping prostitute is in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Again, our God desires to use all of us because when we're born again, we're new creations in Christ. The old things have passed away, all things have become new, and none of us is beyond being used by God. So a woman of great faith who's linked to Sarah, Abraham, David, and even to Jesus. So I, my prayer is that tonight you walk out of here encouraged to know that God can use you. That God wants to use you. That God has a plan for your life. May we respond to God's great grace. So the title of the message tonight, if you take notes, is From Incredible Sin to Incredible Faith. From Incredible Sin to Incredible Faith. Romans 5 says, But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. In Hebrews 11 it says, Without faith it is impossible to please Him. Not everything that is called faith is really faith, but we're going to learn what real faith is looking at Rahab tonight. Again, if you're taking notes, these are the four types of faith we're going to see in Rahab. Number one, we're going to see courageous faith. Courageous faith. Number two, we're going to see confident faith. Number three, we're going to see concerned faith. And finally, covenant faith. So courageous faith, confident faith, concerned faith, and covenant faith. And it's not easy to get all those C's. All right? Now, 
So here we begin, from incredible sin to incredible faith, beginning with courageous faith, looking at Joshua chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. It says, Now Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out two men from from Acacia Grove to spy out secretly, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. So, there, during that three-day period, he says three days from now, we're going to go into the land. While the people are making preparation during those three days, he calls two men over and he sends them in and it says he sent them to spy it out secretly. This is not a secret from whom he's spying on. It's actually a secret from the rest of the children of Israel. You know why? What happened last time they sent 12 people in? They sent 12 people in. Everybody knew they were going. Ten came back and murmured. And Joshua and Caleb said, let's go. God's given us the land. They listened to the ten and they all left. This time, he's not sending them in to figure out whether or not they're going to go in. He already said, we're going. He sent them in, again, to gather wisdom for the military conquest that was before him. God's already won the battle, but it's still, God still calls us to action, you guys. Amen? Because God's won the battle doesn't mean we sit at home and eat bonbons. Well, God, the battle belongs to the Lord. I guess I can sit home. No, God's called us. God has a plan for us. And so he's being faithful and diligent to send these spies into the land. Because again, he said, within three days, we will cross over. So after 40 years of waiting, why three more days? Because God has a special plan. God has a work that he wants to do. And it's not even the work that these two men think that they're going to do. They think they're going in to plot out, plot out some military strategy. But God has something else He's going to do with them. Now that Josh was in charge, note again, He doesn't send 12, He sends two. How many came back faithful last time? Two. We don't know for sure who the two were. Jewish tradition says, and that can only be speculation, but it, that it was Caleb and Eliezer, the high priest. Caleb makes a lot of sense to me. Because who came back with a positive report last time? Caleb. So who do you want to send next time? Caleb. Joshua is now leading the people, and he sent, again, I believe, the high priest. We don't know for sure. But the point is that he sent two in. Not to figure out if they were going to go in, but when. And to get, again, some clear direction from the Lord. But to view the land, to gain information about the enemy. Now, it says there, go in secretly, as we know, not secret from... Of course, when you're spying, you're always going in secretly from the people that are there. Duh, right? Or you wouldn't be spying. You'd be taking a tour or something, right? But it was secretly from the children of Israel. But he says, go where? Especially to Jericho. Now, why Jericho? Jericho was a strategic city in Joshua's plan to conquer Canaan. Once they conquered it, they could cut straight across, divide the land in half. Then they would go and defeat everybody in the south and then defeat everybody in the north. Jericho was a large and very fortified city. Archaeological finds even recently have found that there wasn't just one wall, but two very thick walls, 15 feet apart. And each of those walls was wide enough that you could have multiple chariots riding on them at the same time. Those are thick walls. And we know if you've read your Bible, what's going to happen to those walls in a few weeks, amen? Coming crumbling down. But these walls were big, and again, this was just five or so miles west of the Jordan. And so some people actually lived upon this wall, this strong fortress, this most important of cities. And now we see that God has called them to go into that land. And that was the first city they were going to run into. You know what I find interesting? The most fortified city that they're going to face is the very first one they're going to see. And I find often that when people step out in ministry, the greatest trial comes right off the bat. 
Because the enemy wants to do everything he can to dissuade you from the calling God's placed on your life. You say, Lord, I want to serve you, and you step out, man, you get hit, face, you get laid off from work, or something happens to one of your kids, or, you know, it's amazing how the enemy shows up. And sure enough, as soon as they go into the land of promise, the land flowing with milk and honey, waiting for them is going to be the most fortified of all the cities. And so these guys are going in to check it out. And it says there, So they went, and they came to the house of a harlot named Rahab, and lodged there. Now, several people got a lot of problems with this verse. First of all, a lot of people struggle with the fact that these two men of God would go stay at a prostitute's house. So some people, one translation for the word harlot can be innkeeper. And so a lot of people try to change it and say innkeeper. If your Bible says innkeeper, you need to get another Bible. All right? It's not an innkeeper. If you go into the Greek, you go into, you go into Greek where it talks about her in James, it talks about her in Hebrews, harlot. When it talks about her here in Hebrew, harlot. So she's a prostitute. Now, why in the world would two godly men go, go into the house of a prostitute? Well, we don't know for sure, other than the fact that it's a divine appointment by God, as we're going to see. But it also could be that if you're a spy and you're going into a fortified city that's petrified, as we're going to see, about an enemy coming in, it might be the only place you can hide with anonymity. And so they go into her house, and there, again, they think they're coming in to spy out militarily, but God has another plan. God's design all along for this three-day delay, I believe, is simply to reach Rahab. Because God had an awesome work he wanted to do with her. She was a part of God's ultimate plan. And again, she was King David's great-great-grandmother. And thus, an ancestor of Jesus Christ. Incredible. God had a plan for her. I love that God puts everything on hold to reach you. I love that you're so important to God, he'd rather die than live without you. God will put everything on hold to reach just one person. He'll leave the 90 and 9 to go after the one. And even a one that most people would think is beyond salvation. This blesses me. The story of Rahab. What a blessing. And a real reason, again, is an example of God's love, His concern, His compassion for the individual. This truly was a divine appointment. These two men thought they were going out to be spies. They are really going out to be witnesses. Can I encourage you with something? Tomorrow morning, you may think you're going off to work. And you are. But you think you're going to do construction or going to teach a class or you're going to work on cars or you're being a full-time mom taking care of your kids. Whatever it is you think you're going to do, that is secondary to what you're really called to do, which is be a witness for Jesus Christ. That's the number one reason we live and breathe and move. That's it. And these guys went in thinking they were called to spy out the land, and they were, but their real mission was to be a witness for, for, the, for God, to minister to Rahab, to point her to the truth. Can I encourage you with something? If you wake up in the morning and ask for divine appointments, Lord, give me some divine appointments today. Bring some people into my life that I can share my faith with. I promise you he'll answer that prayer. He will absolutely answer that prayer. The eyes of the Lord search to and fro among the whole earth, seeking one he can show himself strong on account of, one whose heart is loyal to him. He's just looking not for a message. He's not looking for a method. He's looking for a man or a woman that he can use. It's just as available. And here these guys are, and they go in thinking they're going to, to spy, but yet they're really going in to be witnesses to minister to this pagan prostitute. Praise God. Amen? That where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. Again, we're called above all else to be first and foremost witnesses. One other note. 
These are the first guys into the land. And notice who the first guy's in, the witnesses. And I like that. I think that, again, as we witness a picture of the Spirit-filled life, have you ever shared your faith with somebody and you don't even feel like you're talking? You know what I'm talking about? Where did that come from? I, I didn't even know I remembered that verse. You know what I'm talking about? And the Holy Spirit's just speaking through you. And I love this picture of the Spirit-filled life. The first ones in are the witnesses. And again, I believe often, as we share our faith with great boldness, God moves in a mighty way in our hearts. Verse 2 and 3. And it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, men have come here tonight from the children of Israel to search out the country. So the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who have entered your house, for they have come to search out all the country. So the word got out. Somebody told. And again, divine appointment, all a part of God's plan. I'll tell you, isn't there a peace in knowing that God's in control? There's such a peace. You know, hurricanes are coming. Okay, we need to pray, and we need to be faithful to go love on folks, but we need to know that God's in control. We don't need to panic. Trust God. There's this rumor now that Al-Qaeda in October, there's going to be some big thing worse than 9-11. You know what? Okay. If they choose to do it, okay. Who's in control? God is. And if it happens, you know what we need to be ready to do? Minister to people. May God use it for His glory. You know my prayer is, God, do whatever you have to do to bring our country to its knees. Whatever you have to do, Lord, because nothing else is going to matter in eternity. Amen? No matter how big our houses were, how much money, what matters is, do people come to know Christ? And Lord, whatever you have to do, just bring it on. I'm ready. Amen? Because if God is for us, who can be against us? And again, Rahab now is going to be put on the spot. Because during the time that these two witnesses... Now, do you think these guys might have been talking to her about God? Think there's any chance that might have happened? Of course it did. We know it did because we see what happens to Rahab. These guys get brought into her house, and they start sharing with her the love of God. And you know what? She responds in faith. And we're going to see that her faith becomes courageous. Now, it's one thing to lodge them in your house. It's yet another thing to protect them from the king, especially if you are found a traitor that will result in your death. So how's Rahab going to react? She gets called in. No, that if she turned them over to the king, she probably would have got a reward. She probably would have, you know, got some money, something. Hey, I found them. Here they are. Okay, great. We're going bl- to give you something. She wasn't worried about being popular with the king or popular with men, but faithful to this God she had now placed her faith in. And the test comes right away. She has these men in her house. Again, we're going to see proof that she's now put her faith in the true and living God. And because she has, she now is being put on the spot, and here's a chance to stand up for the Lord. Now, we're going to see that she's going to make a mistake in the way she does it, but you've got to admire her heart. Okay? Because let's take a look. Again, and I want to say this, true saving faith can't be hidden for long. If you've truly been born again, you can't hide it for long. If people at work don't know you're saved, that's not good. I've been working there for 10 years, not one person knows I'm a Christian. That's not good. You must not be living like one, amen? Because if we're living for the Lord, people are going to see there's something different. And again, now Rahab's being put on the spot, and that faith can't be hidden for long. Then the woman took the men and hid them. So she said, yes. The men came to me, verse 4, but I did not know where they were from. Is that true? She's lying. Verse 5, if that's not a lie, look at this. And it happened as the gate was being shut when it was dark that the men went out. And where the men went, I did not know. Pursuing them quickly, you may overtake them. Is that true? No. Now, what's her motive? To protect the men. Is that a good motive? Yes. Did she do it the right way? 
No. And I'm amazed. I have people say to me, no, it's okay in this case because she's protected. Thou shalt not lie. Period. Do you see any addendums at the end of that? Thou shalt not lie unless you're protecting another brother from sir death. Right? Does it say that? It's nowhere in the Bible. Again, if you know that God is sovereign, you don't have to lie. Amen? You know, I, I heard, I love this illustration. I heard an illustration that we need to obey God, that if he told us to run into that wall over there head first, that by the time I got there, there'd be a hole waiting for me. That I wouldn't hurt myself. See, if God's calling me to do it, then God's hand is on it. Amen? And some people say, well, she had to lie or she'd have been in trouble. Well, okay, but trust God. Amen? You know, I faced something like, nowhere near to this degree, but I was in, you know, we go to, I go to India every year, by the grace of God, going again on October 16th, and this time I'm taking Pastor Bill with me, so pray for us. It's going to be a great trip. But, and we get a chance to teach guys how to study the Bible, which is awesome to use it for the rest of their life. But one of the things they told me on one of my trips was, Dave, it's Diwali, which is the high Hindu holiday. You need to stay in your hotel, and if you go out at all, don't tell them you're a Christian. Because if you tell them that you're a Christian or why you are here, they will beat you. And so sure enough, we go out, not very far, we walk back to the hotel and a bunch of guys kind of get around us and they're, this is their high Hindu holiday, they're setting off fireworks and worshiping the six-armed goddess of, of wealth. People living in squalor worshiping the six-armed goddess of wealth, how's that working out for you? Not too good. But the point is that finally some of them started asking me, and there's just no way I could not, I said, yeah, I'm a born-again Christian, I came from halfway around the world to share the love of God with people, to teach people how to study the Bible so you can know the peace of Jesus Christ in your own life. And I thought, well, if they beat me up, then I'll, that's okay. But I'm not going to stand here and deny Jesus Christ. There's no way. How in the world can I do that? I, I'm not going to say, well, I'm just here for America on a tour. I'm not doing that. And I got in trouble with the guys the next day. Dave, you can't do that. I said, you know what, guys? I'll answer to God, all right? But I'm not going to dial it down because I'm worried about what men can. Is God in control or not? And Rahab got there, and I'm on a tour. You know, I did, didn't tell them. You know, told a lie and, and thought she was doing what was best for the men. And again, let's, let's not cut her, give her too much heat in one sense that she's a brand new believer. She's lived in pagan idolatry her entire life. And, you know, no one's discipled her yet or instructed her yet. And her motives are good. But you know what? She lied. And lying's wrong. You don't, we don't make excuses for it. Again, she's lying and it's never justified in the Bible. And we are never to do evil that good may come. Amen? We're never justified doing evil that good may come. She demonstrated faith in the Lord by protecting the spies, but on the other hand, again, she demonstrated ungodly behavior. You know what, though? She's a brand new believer. What about Abraham? She's my sister. How about Isaac lying to his dad? Or Jacob, excuse me. Lying to his dad. Oh, yeah, yeah, all right, it was Isaac, lying to his dad. Yeah, I'm Esau. No, you're not. He lied. David, liar, right, adulterer, right? These guys, so these guys are men after God's own heart, women after God's own heart. How is it that we expect so much more of this new believer? Again, they all blew it. They're all outside of God's will. Aren't you glad for God's grace? You know what I've noticed? Somebody correct me if I'm wrong. In the Old Testament, it always points out the failures of the Old Testament prophets, right? Outside of maybe Daniel, you see the sins of everybody, right? Which is a good thing, because then we don't think we got to be perfect. 
In the New Testament, it shows Peter failing and the apostles failing, and Paul, right? And that's a good thing. But you know what's interesting? You never see a bad thing. And correct me if I'm wrong. Somebody look it up. And I'm, I'm, I'm just saying this off the cuff, so come correct me. I don't think you ever see one bad thing said about an Old Testament prophet in the New Testament. All it talks about is their faithfulness and their godliness. You know why? What happened between the Old and the New Testament? Jesus died on the cross. Guess what? Sins are paid for. Amen? And now we see them what? Set apart unto the Lord. And I like that. That's why David, a man after God's own heart, that's why they're in the hall of faith. Where they were blowing it, and now they're in the hall of faith. What happened? The cross of Christ. Amen? And that should be an encouragement to every single one of us. So again, her lies are not justified, and they should never be. Greater courage would have been to just tell the truth and trust God. Then it says, but she had brought them up on the roof and hidden them with stacks of flax, which she had laid in order on the roof. Now, not only did she protect them with her words, even though she did them in the wrong, in the wrong way, she hid them on a rooftop. Now, if she had been caught, she had been dead for sure. And so we know that something's happened to this pagan prostitute who's now hiding these godly men, these men of Israel. And she hides them in these, on her rooftop. The rooftops back then, you go to Israel with us in March, they're flat. And on top of the roof, they would stack all their stuff to be dried out, vegetation and things like that. In this case, they would stack, they're stacking this flax, up on, and it would dry out. Now, out of flax, and just make a note here, there's many things they would make from it, but they would make rope. They didn't use hemp. It's in Santa Cruz, right? They made, they used, they made rope out of flax. They'd make linen and thread. Just keep that in mind because we're going to see in a minute how this all ties together. Verse 7. Then the men pursued them by the road to Jordan to the fords, and as soon as those who pursued them had gone out, they shut the gate. So they heeded her word, and these guys went out trying to chase down these these witnesses, these spies who really hadn't left. So she shows courageous faith. She goes from being a, a woman of incredible sin to a woman of incredible faith, and she's willing to stand up to the king. She's willing to hide these men, to protect these men, even at the cost of her own life. And again, that's a transforming work of God touching this woman. Now, they go out looking for them. They go, the forge is like a berm or a hill, and they were able to look out over the Jordan, look for the men, try to find them. And they shut the gates just in case any more might try to come in. As we're going to see, they're petrified of Israel coming to them. So from incredible sin to incredible faith. We've seen courageous faith. Now watch, we're going to see confident faith. She was courageous before the enemy. She was courageous before the king who could have brought harm to her. Now watch as she is confident. And look what she says. Now before they lay down, she came up to them on the roof. And said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land. You know what? The ten spies can learn something from Rahab. Amen? This is a pagan prostitute who says, I know that God gave you the land. Now she's been touched by God. She now has faith in Almighty God. And she says, I know. I believe. Confident faith. From incredible sin to incredible faith, not only courageous faith again before the king, but now confident faith that Almighty God was going to bring, was going to come and take the land. I know that He's going to take the land. Again, showing more faith than the ten spies from 40 years earlier. She had heard of God's promises to Israel to give them the land, and she believed it based on the testimonies. Look what she says next. 
that the terror of you has fallen on us and that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. She's testifying, you know what? Everybody's here, here has heard about your God and we're scared to death. We've heard what your God has done and fear and terror and we are faint-hearted and we know that we're in trouble because we've heard what your God has done. The word for terror means dread or fear or horror. And the word faint-hearted means to melt like wax in front of a fire. They said, you know what, we're melting over here because we're so fearful of the God, your God, who's going to come and overtake this land. Moses had predicted in Exodus 15 that all the inhabitants of Canaan will melt away. Fear and dread will come upon them. Here's the fruition of that. They go in. They're in a fortified city. What do the children of Israel have with them? They're marching in the wilderness at this point. Got a lot of weapons? No. Chariots? No. What do they have on their side? God. Amen? And praise God. You see the people in the fortified city with the, you know, the high walls and all the stuff are scared to death of these wanderers coming in from the wilderness because they've heard about the greatness of their God. It says in verse 10, For we heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea. Now, how long ago did that happen? Forty years earlier. But they had heard about the power of God. How He, again, dried up the Red Sea and wiped out the Egyptian army. More recently, For when you came up out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites, who were on the other side of the Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. Sihon and Og, it happened just months earlier. Sihon and Og and the Amorites were a giant people. And they wiped out these giants they had once feared. Now the word gets to Jericho that not only did did God dry up the Red Sea, not only did he wipe out the Egyptian army, but now he's taken down Sihon and Og and we're coming for us next. And they're faint-hearted and they're petrified. Reports of the Lord's power had traveled to Canaan and now... They were afraid. You know what, guys? One of the greatest things that God can use to reach others is our testimony. You know what? We go through trials and we go through tests and sometimes we say, why God? And all the while, God is using that for His glory. The Egyptian army's coming. They're backed up to the Red Sea. There's no way out. And Moses, did you just bring us out here to die? Right? And what happens? If there had been no test, there would have been no opportunity for the miracle of the sea opening up. And here we are 40 years later, and it's still a testimony. It's still a testimony. Diagnosed with cancer, watch the Red Sea part. Watch for God to work. It may not be that He heals you. It may just be that your joy in the midst of it is a testimony to those around you. That people can see Jesus in you in the midst of your trial. So here these trials and difficulties they had gone through are now serving as a testimony to their enemy. And Rahab is even saying, I know that your Lord is God. Your God is Lord. I know it. And I know He's going to take the land. I know it. She has confident faith. Why? Because she has seen or heard what God has done. In Exodus 15, again, it says, The people shall hear and be afraid. Sorrow will take hold of the inhabitants of Palestine. In Deuteronomy, he says, This day I will begin to put dread and fear of you upon the nations under the whole of heaven, who shall hear report of you and shall tremble and be in anguish because of you. They're scared to death of Israel. Why? Not because of Israel, but because of the God of Israel. Amen? That's why they're afraid. And they're afraid because of who's coming. 
And as soon as they heard these things, our hearts melted. Neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. For the Lord your God, He is God. What a great testimony. Too bad Rahab wasn't there to help Moses out. All the three million whiners. Where was Rahab? Rahab could have said, hey, he, he is God. I know for sure he is God. You know, it's pretty sad when a pagan prostitute has greater belief than the three million people that heard God speak from Sinai. He spoke audibly. Man has fallen out of the sky. The pillar of clouds right above him. You know, he parted the Red Sea and they don't believe anymore. Want to go back to Egypt. Had leeks and onions back there. Leeks and onions. How about the beatings, right? Remember the beatings? No, selective memory. And here, you know, here's this woman that's in a fortified city on the other side of the Jordan and she has more faith than those who've been marching and walking literally under the cloud of God's presence. Man, puts us all to shame, amen? And what does she say again? Your Lord, He is God. I love this because the Bible says the fear of God is what? The beginning of what? Wisdom. Why is the world in such a mess today? No fear of God. Don't do this to yourself. I do it to myself. I don't know why. You ever read the letters to the editor in the Santa Cruz Sentinel? Don't do that. Just read your Bible instead. Every time I read it, I just... Because they just blast God and blast the Lord and rip everything godly and everything holy and everything... You know, man, no fear of God. Zero. Just flaunting their sin before him. Proud of it. And you know what? The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And Rahab began to fear God and said, you know what? We, we are melting away because we know who your God is. And he is God. He is the God in heaven above and on the earth beneath. So I love this because this immoral prostitute living and worshiping in a land of pagan idolatry had come to the saving knowledge of Almighty God and now was not only courageous before the king, but was confident of the truth of who God really is. Didn't talk about the pagan idols. How many idols were around? You know, when I go to India, do you know how many gods there are in Hinduism? 30 million. 30 million. You, can't, you couldn't possibly know all their names, let alone 30 million. There's like as many gods as there are people in California almost. I mean, it's insane. But you know what? No peace. Why? Because they're serving dead blocks of wood. Amen? They're not serving the true and risen God. And here Rahab's been surrounded by this idolatry, and now she's come to know the true God. He's God. The God of heaven. The God of earth. He is God. Confident faith. Praise God for these two guys who thought they were going in to spy out the land and the divine appointment of God bringing them into Rahab's house and being able to see this transformation in her life. She had come to believe in one God and not many. That there was a personal God who would work on behalf of those who trusted Him. Because He said, your God, the Lord, your God. That He had given, the land of, given them the land of Israel. And that He was the God of heaven and earth. What does that mean? He's the God of every nation, not just the God of Israel. Our God is the God of not just the United States. Amen? We keep going where we're going. He's not going to be the God of the United States. But the point I'm making is that He's the God of the whole world, and He is in control. And He is faithful, and we can trust Him. So Rahab's conversion was an act of God's grace. She was condemned. She was to be destroyed. Because guess what? What's going to happen in just a few days? Here comes the children of Israel. What's going to happen to Jericho? Going to get wiped out. 
And you know what? Rahab, had she not met these men, had she not heard the truth, had she not been able to confess the true and living God, she would have been amongst those who were destroyed. And again, our confidence is God's children comes from the witness of God's Word before us and the witness of the Spirit of God within us. Amen? We can see God's Word before us and the Spirit of God within us, and she had heard what God had done, and she had heard the words of God being given to her by these men. So from incredible sin to, in, to incredible faith, from, again, courageous faith to confident faith, and now watch what happens, and this should be a lesson to all of us, now comes concerned faith. You know what, guys? Once we come to know God, you know what to be our greatest burden on this planet? Everybody who doesn't. Amen? Watch what she says. Now, therefore, I beg you, swear to me by the Lord, since I have shown you kindness, that you also will show kindness to my father's house and give me a true token and spare my father, my mother, my brothers, my sisters, and all that they have and deliver our lives from death. Man, she's being greedy. Wasn't good enough that you save me. You got to save my whole family. You know what? I love that. I love that. She wasn't satisfied. Okay, great. I know the truth, but you know what? How about the rest of my family? I know you're coming. I know you're going to wipe Jericho out. I know it's going to happen. I know who you, that your God is great. I know that you, I believe that your God is a God of heaven and earth. And when you get here, could you watch out for my family? You know what? We ought to intercede and be praying for our families even more than we do. No matter how much we do, we need to pray for them more. And Rahab had concerned faith as she cries out and intercedes on behalf of her family. The mark of a true salvation is a burden for the souls of others. You show me somebody on fire for God, I'll show you somebody who's a soul winner. My wife gets upset with me sometimes. She says, Dave, sometimes you're too hard on people for not sharing their faith. and You make it almost sound like if you don't share your faith, they're not saved. I'm not saying that. But I'll tell you what, if you're not sharing your faith, you're not walking in the center of God's will. Amen? Ouch. Amen? That was weak. Amen? All right. Okay. Here's the thing. What did Jesus say? What was the last thing he said before he ascended into heaven? Go, therefore, into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He didn't say, go home and hang out and do nothing, but I'll be coming back for you soon. Just go where it's comfortable. You know, don't talk to somebody who might have hard questions for you. You know, just, you know, do lifestyle evangelism. Stop. You got to tell them about Jesus, amen? We got to open up our mouth, live it before them, but also point them to the true and living God. So she asked for an oath. I love this. But notice this. She's a prostitute. There's no mention of a husband. And there's no mention of children, which is pretty common for someone who's a prostitute. But she asked for a token. Give me something that I'll know my family will be delivered. Give me something. What can you give me? What can you show me? So the men answered, Our lives for yours. If none of you tell this business of ours, and it shall be when the Lord has given us the land, that we will deal kindly and truly with you. So this is a solemn pledge being made by these two men. They said, okay, you know what? You you delivered us. You stuck up for us. God, you were the instrument that God used. You hit us. And you know what? Because of your faithfulness, we're going to make sure that you're taken care of. Ultimately, who's doing all of it? God is. God brought them together. This was all part of God's plan in His sovereignty. As long as she and her family didn't say anything to anyone in the city, then they would be spared. That's the exact opposite of what God wants us to do. 
They were told, don't say anything to anybody. God tells us to tell everybody. Amen? To not water, not be ashamed of the gospel. And again, I'm exhorting you in love. I hope you know that. But you know what? When we stand before Almighty God, no one's going to be bummed that we share too much. Amen? I never should have talked to that next-door neighbor of mine. Now he's going to heaven. I mean, we're not going to do that. That'll not happen with any of us. But I know, I know for me, I know my heart will be broken over the divine appointments that I was too busy to latch on to. I'm just too busy about my thing, doing my own thing. Too bu- you know, I think I've told you guys this story, and I don't have time to tell, but I'm going to tell it anyway. Um, I had a sales call one time down in Southern California. I'm driving my next appointment, and I'm running an hour, like 30 minutes late, and I had a bunch of attorneys I was supposed to go see. Most of you know, before I was full-time, I also sold advertising. And, you know, with attorneys, they don't like it when you're late. They start billing you for hours and stuff. So I'm, I'm, I'm on my way there, but it's like 110 degrees out, literally. This is in Southern California. And I stop at a 7-Eleven. I, I literally throw my door open, run in, and grab a double big gulp or something. And I go out back out to my car. And as I got out of my car when I was running in, I noticed a guy standing by the door. And this guy standing by the door was pretty tore up. He was a homeless guy, and he was really tore up. His skin looked really different than anything I'd ever seen before. I get out, I get in my car, I start to back out, and I feel the Holy Spirit, not an audible voice, Holy Spirit, Dave, get out and talk to him about me. Lord, I'm late. I've got an appointment. Those attorneys are waiting for me. I mean, you know that how they act when you're late. I'll come by on the way back. So I start driving out of the parking lot. I'm driving down Van Nuys Boulevard, and now the Lord's going, go back and talk. Have you ever felt that before? The Holy Spirit head slap. I... What if, now, I could have kept going, but I, you know, I wanted my neck to be... So I said, all right, Lord. So I turn around, I go back into the 7 parking lot, and literally, this is what I did. I flip my car door open. I always keep tracks of my car in the door. I grab a track out of the car. I jump out. I'm like, got one foot in the door still. I lean over to the guy. I think I put a couple dollars in, and I go, hey, I just want you to know the Lord loves you. Suffer and die. Do you mind? Have eternal life. God bless you. Hope you have a good day. I was real interested in him. I'm just being, oh, Lord, I say, I obeyed now, right? And so I hand it to him, and the guy falls into my arms and starts weeping. And I'm holding him up, and he starts weeping. I notice his skin's all tore up, and he's got fingers missing on both hands. And, and I start talking to him, and he said, you don't understand. He said, I was just across the street sitting in an alley. I had a gun to my head, and I was going to kill myself. He said, a bunch of guys a few weeks back poured gasoline on me and set me on fire because I was sleeping in the wrong spot. His skin was all tore up. He said, I was done. And he said, I was getting ready to kill myself. And I, fi- I said, okay, God, if you're real, then show me. And I walked across the street and sat down here. And you just come and tell me about the love of God. Oh. <laughs> now I got Jesus bumps, you know, and I'm like, oh, no. And so my appointment got put off. And, and you know what was awesome? Got this guy plugged into a church and went and got clothes for him and ministered to him and loved on him. But you know what? Here's the sad thing. I've walked away from a lot of those. I've been too busy, and I kept driving. And I thought, man, the Lord just, for me, that was for me. The Lord was showing me, look, this is what I want to do with you, Dave. This is how I want to use you. I have divine appointments waiting for you. Don't miss them. This is a divine appointment with Rahab. These two spies could have been busy about look, checking out the land, but God brought them into our house. They could have just said, you know what, let's just take a nap. We've got a full day tomorrow. But instead, it's very obvious that they must have shared with her because her life was transformed. May we not miss the divine appointments. Amen? May we be praying every day, Lord, give me an opportunity to share my faith. We're going to move now to lastly, covenant faith. 
Because it says there, So the men answered, Our lives for yours. If none of you tell the business of ours, it shall be when the Lord has given us the land, that we will deal kindly and truly with you. So courageous faith, confident faith, now concerned faith, and lastly, covenant faith. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was on the city wall. She dwelt on the wall. And she said to them, Get to the mountain, lest the pursuers meet you. Hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Afterward, you may go your way. Those of you who go to Israel with us, if we go by Jericho this time, I went the first time but not the second time, you look at Jericho, right behind it are these huge mountains in the opposite direction of the Jordan. So these men went out and they went up into these mountains and hid there for three days. They waited until the, those who had gone up to search for them came back and then they headed back to the Jordan. So she says, go up on the mountain and wait there, verse 17 and 18. So the men said to her, we will be blameless of this oath of yours, which you have made us swear, unless when we come into the land, you bind this line of scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you bring your father, your mother, your brothers, and all your father's household to your own home. So they make a covenant, but with that covenant, there needed to be a sign or a marking so that the children of Israel, when they came in and the army came in, that they would be able to recognize that this was the family that was making a covenant to God. This was the, they were the ones that were saying, we want to be recognized with the God of Israel. So they had to have some kind of a sign so that they would stand out, so the people would be able to recognize them. So what was the sign? It was a scarlet cord. Now, you think that's by chance? All right. I was going to wait till the end, but I'll just give it to you now. Here's the thing. This would serve as a signal. And despite Rahab's desire, again, and the promises of the spies, and despite her great faith, her courageous faith, her confident faith, she and her whole family would be wiped out unless they had the scarlet cord. Without the scarlet cord hanging from her window, it wouldn't matter how many times she stood up for them. It wouldn't matter how bold she was. Because she had to have the scarlet cord or she'd be wiped out. Now it's interesting that the prostitutes identified their homes this way back then. They would paint their window seals red. You know how you have a red light district now? They would paint their window seals red. So the seal of her window, the bottom portion window, was all painted red. And now, she, we're going to see in a couple of verses, she's going to take this red cord and hang it out of her window. And as she hangs the red cord out of her window, up on the wall of Jericho, when the army of Israel came in, they would look up and they would see the shape of a cross. That's a God thing, amen? Now what's awesome about this, this is like Gentile Passover. Because what happened, remember, the Jews, how were they delivered if they had the blood in the shape of the cross and the angel of death would pass over and they would be delivered. And if Rahab and her family, all living in that house, would have the shape of the cross in the color of blood hanging out of their window, they would be delivered. Man, Jesus is all over the Old Testament. Don't you love it? The Bible just rocks. Amen? And so we see here again. Now, she didn't know when she's putting the cord out, it was the shape of a cross. They didn't even know when they were putting the blood of the lamb that they were making the shape of a cross. But they were just doing it as an act of obedience. And here we see her, and what's interesting to me is this rope would have been made out of flax. Now, why is that significant? Because remember I told you flax can make rope, and flax was where the spies were hiding. 
And flax is also something they used to make the linen of the priest. Now what I love about this is that the covering for the prostitute, the covering for the God's witnesses, and the covering for the high priest is all the same. It's all made out of flax. Why? Because Jesus Christ is the covering for all of us. It doesn't matter what your background's like. It doesn't matter if you were a prostitute. It doesn't matter if you were serving in the ministry. The covering is the same. And I love the picture here that whether they be Jews or they be Gentiles, that the blood must be applied. If the cord's not hanging out the window in the shape of the cross, she's going to face destruction. If they didn't have the blood in the shape of the cross at Passover, the angel of death would come in and destroy them. And the Bible's awesome. I just love the pictures that we see throughout. So it shall be that whoever goes outside the doors of your house, verse 19, into the street his blood shall be on his own head, and we will be guiltless. And whoever is with you in the house, his blood shall be on, your, on our head if a hand is laid on him. So again, all who are in your house, much like at Passover, all who are in your house will be delivered. And I love this, this chord because whenever God makes a covenant, what is a covenant? It's a promise. Whenever God made a promise, he would often seal it with something. The promise with Abraham, the covenant with Abraham was sealed with circumcision. The promise to Noah to never flood the world again was sealed with what? The rainbow. The promise that Jesus gave us with the apostles with the Lord's Supper. The promise with Rahab here is this scarlet cord. Now remember again, the cord didn't save her. It was faith in God that saved her, in obedience to God. So the circumcision doesn't save you, and the baptism doesn't save you, and the communion doesn't save you. They all point to the Lord, but it must, our salvation must come directly from the Lord. Amen? So here's that picture that we're seeing, last few verses. And if you tell this business of ours, then we will be free from your oath, which we, you made us swear. So the oath was only as good as she was to her word. Then she said, according to your word, so be it. And she sent them away, and they departed, and she bound the scarlet cord in her window. How quickly did she put that cord out there? There's no way the army's coming now. But yet, immediately, and I love this, she didn't wait for a better time. She didn't hide her covenant with the Lord. Because you know what? Putting that red cord out might bring some questions. Why do you have that red cord hanging out your window? What's that about? Right? But you know what? She doesn't wait. Well, I'll wait till I see the dust of them kicking up, and then I'll throw it out. And you know, sometimes we want to do that with God. You know what? I'll give my life to the Lord later. You know, I'll really dedicate my life to Him at a more convenient time. You know, when it's real close to Him coming back, then I'll do it. I've had people, I used to have, I was a youth pastor 15 years. I had kids in my youth group tell me, Pastor Dave, I'll get saved when I'm old like you. I want to have fun right now. I'm like, you know what? You want to have a fun teenage life? Serve God. Nothing more fun than that. Amen? Nothing more joyous than that. And then he says there, Then they departed and went to the mountain and stayed there three days until the pursuers returned. And the pursuers, the pursuers sought them all along the way, but they did not find them. So the two men returned, descended from the mountain, and crossed over. And they came to Joshua, the son of Nun, and told him all that had befallen him. Now listen to these words. And they said to Joshua, Truly the Lord has delivered all the land into our hands, for indeed all the inhabitants of the country are faint-hearted because of us. Whose words are these? Look at verse 9, Rahab's. 
These are exactly the words that Rahab said to the spies. And now they're delivering these very same words to Joshua. Man, I love that. I love that God took this woman who was caught up in pagan idolatry, who was selling her body for money, and now she's literally somebody whose God is speaking through. A woman who went from incredible sin to a woman who now had incredible faith. I just love this picture, again, of the grace and the mercy and the love of our God. And it should be an encouragement to us, no matter what background we have, our God is faithful and just to forgive us. Where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. Amen? And may we not miss out on these opportunities. May we not be too tired to minister to a Rahab. We don't know what God's going to do with her. We don't know what that result would be. We don't know that she's going to end up being David's great-great-grandmother. That she's going to be in the line, again, of Jesus. That she's going to be a woman listed in the hall of faith. That she's going to be an example linked to Abraham of good works. And praise God for two guys who weren't so busy about their military exposition that they, had, they didn't have time to minister to one woman. Boy, just look for one. Amen? We discipled one. Public confession she made is, your God is God. Her personal, again, conviction was that she hung the cord out the window. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. So in closing... From incredible sin to incredible faith. She, again, was a woman who lived in pagan idolatry, but praised God that, again, God brought the truth to her. And she went from a woman, again, of incredible sin to courageous faith, then confident faith, then faith that was concerned for others, and then finally, a faith that entered into a promise of Almighty God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for this great example. May our hearts be stirred up that where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. Lord, that nobody is beyond salvation. Lord, we know that because you saved us. And Lord, we know that we are sinners in desperate need of a Savior. And we thank you that you came and suffered and died on our behalf. Lord, may we be one beggar leading another beggar to the bread. Lord, may we, again, see the world through through your eyes and love people the way that you do. We ask these things in your holy and your precious name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's stand and close the worship song.